0: Welcome to episode number 53 of Off the Shelf.
1: Don't want to spend my life preaching sermons that give answers to the questions no one's asking anywhere. When there's so much pain and hurting, there's no time to be searching for the needles in the haystacks that aren't there. I walk. Spend my time wearing myself out for Jesus. With the news, a cure's been found to heal our land. Still, I'm making lists and creeds that aren't concerned with people's needs. I'll show show them how to touch the nail scarred hand. Don't wanna spend my time praying prayers, bombarding heaven with requests to rain down fire on saints who. In our methods we may differ, but if Christ the Lord we live for, may we not forget the enemy is out there. I wanna spend my life making my part of the body of the Savior work with smooth efficiency. One may be the knee and one the toes, I'm the chin, I'm the nose.
2: Listen, brother.
1: We have need of feet. Don't wanna spend my time writing songs to answer questions that nobody's even asking, anyhow. When the house is burning to the ground. No Hi,
0: is... my name is Rod Bergen, and I want to welcome you to this month's episode of the Off the Shelf Podcast. Off the Shelf is now being heard in over 140 countries, and we are glad you could join us. The aim of Off the Shelf is to help people know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. The podcast is primarily directed at followers of the message of William Branham and former followers like ourselves. I want to welcome today to the Off the Shelf podcast our guest, Dr. Gabriel Pollan, a doctor in the field, of Economics. He's with us on the line from Hartersfield, UK, which is in West Yorkshire. Welcome, Gabriel.
2: Thank you so much, Broad. Glad to be here.
0: Gabriel, you've been out of the message for about a year or so. Can you tell us how you came into the message? I understand you grew up in the message and what it was like growing up in the message?
2: All right. Yeah, so I basically grew up in the message. Um, I probably started going to a message church 1990. I was about eight years old at that time. Um, so interestingly, we grew up reading the Bible, doing Bible stories on Sunday school days, and attending house and home prayer fellowships.
0: And this was in the country of Zambia, correct?
2: Yeah, I grew up in Zambia. I grew up in a message church in Zambia. So around 1990, I think was the first time I attended the message church. So I was eight years old around that time, so I pretty much grew up in a in message church.
0: It was uh, a large church, small church?
2: So, you know, if my recollection serves me right, um, when we attended message church, it was pretty small. So it was basically a small gathering in a classroom at some secondary school in Lusaka. So it was just a small gathering. Of people, a small, fe- small gathering of families that got together um, as the very elect, as you would imagine. Um, yeah, but over time, the message church grew exponentially into a very large congregation. So we're talking of two decades later, the congregation, I think, was around a thousand. Oh, really? Yeah, that's sizable. So it's the largest message church in, in, in Zambia.
0: How many message believers would there be in Zambia? Do you know, ballpark?
2: Um, it's difficult for me to to estimate, but I'd say in the thousands.
0: Yeah. Okay, weeks, but it's not yeah. it's not in the millions. It's not in the hundreds of thousands. It's not in the. I mean, it's no, like, no. I would estimate in North America there are maybe fifty thousand people in the message. It's not huge. The most of the churches are quite small. The church I attended at Cloverdale was probably the largest message church in North America, and it was you know probably nine hundred people. But there aren't uh, very many churches like that. A large church would be a couple of hundred people, and most churches are small and well below 100 people.
2: Yeah, well, the message church in, the message church in Lusaka is quite large, but outside of Lusaka, you've got smaller gatherings. Yeah. On the Copernicus, you have uh, reasonably large gatherings. They're still just in the hundreds. So altogether, I'll just put it at a few thousands okay. um, in terms of numbers of message believers in Zambia.
0: Yeah. So what was it like growing up in the message?
2: Yeah. So basically, you know, it was a usual Sunday service, and we'll have our Sunday schools where we read Bible stories, um, especially the earlier part of, our, of of my time growing up in the message. I remember we'd read stories of Joseph, we'd read stories of of David, of Samson, and so forth. It was interesting, and it didn't seem um, out of this world. So, you know, we had home prayer fellowships that took place at least once a week, where small family, small gathering of families would would come together in in a home and then would pray. But what was unusual about these gatherings, I think in terms of the whole neighborhood or community perspective, was that we really made lots of noise, we prayed so hard that it disturbed the neighbors, and at some point I think we had police or community neighborhood come over to to investigate what was going on. (laughs) So that was really (laughs) hilarious growing up.
0: They didn't think it was a football game or anything like that.
2: That's right, but we just didn't care. All we knew was, you know, we're doing the right thing, we're praying, and this is the way things are supposed to be. I was a kid, anyway, around that time, so I didn't make much of those things. So, anyway, as a kid, I was often reminded of how special we were, how different we were from all the other kids, basically. And for for, for the girls, obviously, it was about long dresses and all the message stuff. For the boys, it was about... Understanding that we're different from all the other kids, you know, um, and we weren't r- allowed to to play competitive sports, although I did. Um, we're told how to cut our hair, you know. What I mean, so we 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 had uh, specific rules regarding even uh, petty issues, as you know, how you cut your hair and stuff like that. So, um, in short, <laughs> the emphasis was very much on legalistic legalistic stuff growing up. It was about do's and don'ts. And that's sort of the kind of indoctrination that we underwent when we were in the message.
0: So, but when you said you were different, different is better, correct?
2: Yeah, so different within the message context was something that was better, was something that, that must be interpreted as correct way to, to leave, basically. So we're different, we were elect, we believed something special, something that wasn't given to everybody else. And Right from a very tender age, those are the kinds of messages that you'd get, and you'd grow up looking at your friends as you know, inferior. They went to all these denominations and you thought, well, it goes to these denominations, they don't have the truth. Even at a very young age, I could recollect my early teenage years uh, thinking of myself as being a very, very special uh, uh, person
0: uh-huh.
2: to be yeah. part of the message. Uh, and obviously, you know, we never celebrated Christmas. So those, those are some of the things that were really coming out. So at the time when our friends would be celebrating Christmas, buying and exchanging presents, we, you know, we, we wouldn't.
0: So did did you feel uh, ripped off?
2: Well, well, as a kid growing up, sometimes you'd feel bad. But, you know, they'll teach you in the message that, you know, Jesus wasn't actually born on 25th of December. And that Christmas was rather a pagan holiday. So, so as a kid, when you're told those things, you you feel bad that you can't celebrate with other kids, but then you understand because you're special.
0: But no, the, but the fact that William Branham celebrated it, nobody ever made a point of that or talked about that, or or you weren't aware of that.
2: So to be honest, I wasn't even aware that William Branham himself celebrated Christmas. Um, it's only it's only very recently that I actually came across the message when I started reading the message pretty deep that came across the message of William having William Brenham having celebrated Christmas and having had Christmas trees and so forth
0: that that was a bit of a surprise to you
2: that was a huge surprise so the first thing I did actually was to get in touch with my with my with my friends from Zambia to say guys have you come across this do you make and I didn't get one answer from 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 all of them I, each one of them gave me their own views and one of the things for for example that uh, came out from one of the people that I've always thought of as a mentor growing up was that, look, what the prophet did and what we must do are two different things. So God gave the prophet wisdom to do certain things, and we don't have that wisdom, so we shouldn't dare.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You grew up listening to William Branham's life story.
2: That's right. We grew up listening to William Branham's life story, and it was an exceptionally touching Life story in the sense that it's, it's one of those stories that would draw you in. first of all, you are reading this story from the perspective of uh, the understanding that William Brenham is a prophet that came to, to, to the last to, 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 you know, to the end times to reveal a very special message to a very special group of people and you were lucky to be part of this group. So when you read the story of this particular individual and how For example, God would have punished him by taking away his wife and child, um, and how he tried to commit suicide basically by touching a high-voltage electricity pole or transformer, and how God spared him because He had a purpose for him. Mm -hmm. And you know, as 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 a child growing up with these kinds of stories, you you literally begin to associate uh, supernatural with this particular person, and you, you know you begin to have all these emotions. Uh, and attachments. So, you know, growing up, those are some of the things that emphasize about the life story of William Mm -hmm. Brenham, how in the, you know, on the whole, William Brenham was a very spiritually learned person who experienced supernatural um, (laughs) things.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs)
2: Um, You know, growing up as kids as well, would walk around and would see some funny shaped cars and would, would think about the egg-shaped visions, would think about all the different prophecies that are being fulfilled. Sometimes without really understanding the full rec- recollection of, of, of prophecies, but we'll go on and say, see, that's what the prophet said." When you see cars that look like that, we'll see cars that look like eggs. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Have you seen our video on uh, egg-shaped cars?
2: Yes, I have. Yes, indeed I have. <laughs> well, actually, we...
0: <laughs> we had fun with that one.
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I absolutely enjoyed that one. Yeah, so, you know, although in a way, we, you know, we, we grew up quite liberally in terms of, you know, the kinds of friends we made, although we were um, very cautious about how how deep those friendships were, what stood out for us was that, you know, you could be friends with people because you go to school with them, but we, we would never talk much about our, our beliefs. Sometimes I think as a child, I was scared. I didn't want to lose friends once I started to tell them about what it is I, I specifically believed in, so forth. So I remember as a kid having... All these debates about christmas for example and why jesus wasn't born on that day and then suddenly these friends of mine were laughing at me and saying well okay fine jesus wasn't born on the feast of december but he was born someday so when which day do you actually celebrate I Said, wow well, wait a minute jesus christ the lamb of god so we know that he was born around april because that's the time that that sheep uh, deliver They <laughs> go <laughs> what what are you talking about <laughs> according to prophets so my friends would be like okay i don't know what you're talking about yeah of course (laughs)
0: that's not in the bible either right
2: absolutely absolutely so you know we always i mean we we basically grew up very weird people in a in a a particular (laughs) sense because we're very different from everybody else in terms of our our belief system so growing up in the message you know wasn't at all negative in the sense that we made friends we we had some laughs. had a reasonably uh, fantastic childhood but at the same time we held to this belief system that imposed a sense of superiority complex upon us to, to indeed look down upon others so that's basically what i can say about you know my childhood message so
0: you grew up you started going to university when did you come to england
2: so so i came to england um just over four years ago basically so um my, my background is uh, I was teaching at the University of Zambia, and um, my wife got a scholarship, a common scholarship to pursue her PhD studies here, and uh, I got funding for my tuition. So we came here to, to to just do the PhD together and to be together. So as soon as we landed in England, so we landed in Leeds, So as as landed, the first thing we did was for a messenger. So within a month, we found a church. the church were um, a couple of miles away, it'd be 30 to 40 minutes drive from, from so the church was in was in Halifax.
0: Not Halifax, Canada. Halifax, in in the UK.
2: Halifax, UK. <laughs> that's how we immediately transitioned. That's how we immediately transitioned into um, <laughs> into a message.
0: Yeah, well, that's kind of standard. Uh, you go to a message church, and, and you so you the first thing you do is find a message church in your uh, local area and start going
2: there. That's right. So that's, I mean I mean that's basically what we're taught. You know, so we. Initially, obviously, you know, we weren't driving, so what? So we had to rely on. We had to rely on believers, um, who went to that church to come give us a ride, so they'll pick us up.
0: And people in the message are, for the most part, very welcoming and friendly and loving to people who are in the message.
2: That's right. That's right, Roy. I mean, I can't agree with you more. There, uh, my own experience, having come to England and being. You know, in a very different place, has really helped me to see things from the very perspective of the people we initially be welcoming. And then, you know, uh, as long as you're in the message, everything is good.
0: Everything's good, but yeah. The moment
2: you announce, yeah, absolutely. But the moment you announce that, you know, you're not going to be part of their fellowship, you're immediately cut off. So, I mean, I'll get back to that later. Yeah.
0: And, I, and I, it's funny because William Branham always talked about the Pentecostal pussycat, you know, you pet it the wrong way. And the fangs come out, and that is probably the best description of the message that I've ever heard.
2: That is that—that that is precisely what uh, my experience the message has been so far. Yeah. Um, you know, that's something that I would like to touch upon later, but you know, just to to highlight at this point.
0: Uh, Gabriel, what started your journey out of the message?
2: So, so basically, you no. Know I mean, like having been the message for over two two decades, basically, from nineteen ninety to twenty sixteen. I'm thirty five years old now, in yeah. twenty seventeen. Um, 20, in twenty In 2016, when I turned 34, I was basically um, of the view that, you know what? I think I could be doing more to be of service to God. I'm exhaling in terms of my career. I'm exhaling in terms of my education. But I don't think I'm doing much to, to serve God. So perhaps it's an opportunity for me to to serve God more, to serve God better. Because mm-hmm. I remember in Zambia, the pastor highlighting that, Oh, Gabriel, I need you to get a bit more involved in church activities, and I just didn't. I just, I told myself, look, I don't think I have a calling. If that calling comes, and will come, so it was in 2016 when I actually felt that, well, maybe the Lord is calling me to do something, to to be of 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 service, yeah. to uh, you know, yeah. make use of my abilities to uh-huh. spread His gospel as far as I understood it, basically. So when I decided that, you know. I want to draw closer to God, I, in a way, rekindled some of the questions I had growing up in the message. Because often in the message, you'd grow up and would ask questions, and those questions would be answered in a (laughs) half-hearted way.
0: Yeah, people didn't generally like questions.
2: People generally didn't like questions growing up. So we were also scared not to ask too many questions. And when we did ask questions, the kind of answers we got were never satisfactory. And if an answer wasn't satisfactory, uh, it was your fault for lack of understanding. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, you just didn't have a revelation. I mean, what's wrong with you, Gabriel?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> that's precisely how um, I understood it, and that's how I took it. And to be honest, I think I was very, very, very obedient to the hierarchical structures uh, of a message church, basically, starting with the pastor, the elders, and everything. So if an elder tells me something, whether or not I understand or agree with it, I'll, I'll draw with it. Yeah. That's basically how, you know, I, I found myself within the message and that's how I survived within it. But in terms of my journey outside the message, like I said, the, the time when I wanted to become much more serious with serving God, the time that actually I started observing so many weird things taking place at the church. And I in in a, in a very fundamental way, I think my changed perspective regarding my closer relationship with Christ and my experience in a whole different environment and church had helped me to reach the level that I'm at today, which mm-hmm. is outside of the message. <laughs>
0: exactly.
2: so, so in a way, the experiences in this new church and the way the pastor of this new church um, expressed himself kind of helped me to, to live the message eventually. Um, yeah, so I had questions, and and you know the short answer is that the questions I had were unanswered. So for example, on the Hoffman image of Christ, and how the uh, you know how the Bible talks about how Christ uh, in, in the physical form was not anything pretty to look at, and look yeah. at the Hoffman image of Christ. So I'm like, oh, well, this is a pretty handsome man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I had all those questions like, well, but how did the prophet know that this was you know this is exactly how Jesus looks like? But I remember the pastor uh, at this new church didn't, didn't like the question, and he immediately told me that um, I feel attacked, and I'm going to excuse myself, and he walked away.
0: Oh, really? So he, just, got, he, just, he just walked away f- because you asked a question?
2: Absolutely. He just walked away because he asked a question about the Hoffman image of Christ. So wh- one of the guys uh, was telling me that, you know, he, because the prophet prays under this Hoffman image of Christ, and he should do it as well. And I found—I mean—I thought that was uh, pretty uncomfortable. Why would I want to pray uh, under some some image of, of 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 Jesus? Is that not equivalent to the idolatry that they talk that the message people talk about, for example? Absolutely. <laughs> so those are some of the things. That, yeah. So the pastor pretty much brushed us off because he said, "Look, I feel attacked, and I'm not ready to answer." So he walked away. So I told my wife. She so she was very upset with me for for how. Having raised the issue in the first place
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> So she was, she was basically telling me shouldn't have asked those questions if you have any questions don't ask any questions I don't so in, in other words she didn't want any sort of antagonism whatsoever she always wanted us to be right with the with the powers that be basically
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean generally that's uh, an easier way to live one's life if you don't rock the boat.
2: Yeah, that's right. So, anyway, my, but my journey in the message, obviously, like I said, can be divided into distinct episodes. So, my time in Zambia and my time in the UK. So, my time in Zambia was one of a church goer. You know, I never attempted to, to ask any serious questions. I just went to church and I enjoyed being in the company of people. Although I maintained a close network of, of friends from, from college, from, from, from university, from work outside of the message context. Um, Yeah, so, but when I came to the UK, I found myself exclusively in the message community. So what we actually did here in the UK was, because Halifax was far away from Leeds compared to where most message people lived, because most message people lived in Huddersfield, and because we needed help with the kids in times of academic distress.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of work.
2: Absolutely. So me and Claudia decided that, you know, it should be best to move to Huddersfield. So we moved to Huddersfield in order to be closer to the message folk and in order to be closer to the church. So we had no business living in Huddersfield whatsoever. So the main reason we came to Huddersfield was to be uh, within the message community or the message support system. Basically.
0: And, and how large is that community in Huddersfield?
2: Well, just a... Uh, a hunt for of, 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 of households. To be honest, it's not so. so the message church in Halifax is just uh, a couple of just a couple of people. It's not a very big church. Yeah, but okay. I think I think my my three years there has seen it grow quite substantially. Uh, when we started there, it was just the pastor's family, um, uh, some deacons or two deacons uh, so something like that. So that so the so the message church in Halifax wasn't very large. Mm-hmm. At least in comparative terms with the one in Lusaka. So, I had questions. My questions weren't answered. Uh, so, then I also observed certain behavioral patterns that I thought were uh, out of order, basically. Yeah. So sometimes, some sometimes I'd ask questions and I'd have discussions with message folk, and I think they didn't like them. I'd be like, oh, when you look up, when you talk about the story of Elijah and the four hundred prophets, did you notice that? For Elijah there was so much order in the way he did things and whereas the fallen prophets were screaming and cutting themselves why is it that asking the message we always like to scream and shout and jump so in in a sense <laughs> i always ask myself to say there's probably something wrong with me
0: that's pretty typical gabriel because i know when when i was experiencing problems yeah this first thing i thought okay there's something wrong with me i'm missing something you'd ask questions but you wouldn't get good answers but then again you thought there will there's something wrong with me i'm just not getting it
2: that's right that's, That i mean that's precisely how i i look to things so obviously the you know the the message itself can be looked at from two angles as an academic i'd say from a theoretical and and the practical angle so the theoretical angle obviously is the message doctrine itself which is not in any way homogeneous in the sense that there's one single message church that preaches everything else that everybody else believes in it, it seems to me that message churches emphasize different things depending on where you're at so i asked the pastor one time say why is it that there's a lack of uniformity When the pastor says uh, there is leverage in terms of the authority of the pastor so the prophet advises us that be on top of the pastor there is God. So the, on top
0: of the pastor is God.
2: On top of the pastor is God. So basically, uh, the pastor determines the rhythm, <laughs> the rhythm and the you know direction. the behavior pattern. Absolutely, the rhythm, direction and behavioral pattern of the church. And this is uh, pretty much what the pastor explained to me. So well, for for me, having seen the way things were done in Zambia, where an authoritative type system was established. I could very much uh, associate with the, what the pastor was saying. So I understood what he said, I believed him, and I kept quiet. Yeah. <laughs> so, as, as I always did, basically. So, you know, all those questions were bugging me.
0: So that's the theoretical side. What about the practical side?
2: So, so the practical side is the understanding that we put everything that we are taught theoretically into practice, the way, in terms of the way we behave, in terms of you know, the way we associate with one another. And one yeah. of the things I did find is that, as I said, within the message, uh, community itself, there's a very strong sense of community, strong sense of family and relation. And I, I, I did indeed profit from that sort of close attention to the welfare of message members uh, so we, we appreciated that we could trust our kids with message people me and yeah. claudia would go on holiday come back and we'll find our kids well looked after well yeah. fed. yeah
0: yeah and, and it's like i mormon communities and, have and the so same forth. thing so, and Jehovah's witness communities have the same thing they look after
2: each other absolutely so the message people would look after us and i'd always tell Claudia i said wow like that because it was a new place in a different environment whereas in zambia I had family and everything so i didn't have any use Upon anybody else apart from my family here. Yeah. So yeah. So when people provided the, the strong, so when people provided the this, this strong support system, we really appreciated that. So that's the way it was. So the practical aspect of the message was, as far as message community was concerned, people were very close. But the pastor uh, had very strong views about so many things anyway. So he made it very easy for me to already start feeling uncomfortable. So for example one time he preached that the message was about the bible because the bible is a written word of god whereas the message is a revealed word of god so the message is the word of god that has been revealed to us i found that statement very very disturbing although he denies it today that he never said those things he confirms it by saying what he said in fact was that the message is an absolute interpretation of the bible so to me it makes no difference. Absolute revelation, absolute interpretation is one and the same thing.
0: Yeah, and and also from 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 my standpoint, when I look at it, I think that most people who are message followers exalt William Branham's word above the Bible because if you run into a disagreement between the Bible and William Branham You always go with William Branham, so therefore, his word is above the Bible. And people say, well, and this is where we got the name for our podcast. Just take that passage in Scripture, put it on the shelf, or just leave it there, and God will eventually show it to you. And you end up with a lot of stuff on the shelf, because William Branham always trumps the Bible.
2: Exactly, which is why eventually I think I started feeling uncomfortable, because the more I had uncomfortable questions the more i had to put them on the shelf as you as you say it and which is something that i think that that became increasingly disturbing for me um so I would put things aside or or would just not come back to them altogether i said you know so for, anyway one of the other things i think one of the light bulb moments i think that hit me was the emphasis on mixed race marriages i come from a mixed, mixed race background myself and the emphasis on mixed-race marriages was something that was really, really disturbing for me to say that William Branham was preaching against mixed-race marriages. So, I, so growing up, I had read some passages, but then I'd forgotten. And then I was discussing this with my dad. Say, said, why would the prophet say that black and white shouldn't marry? We have a scripture for that. And my dad would be like, no, the prophet never said that. It's been taken out of context. What the prophet meant was that should marry your kind because you understand each other and so forth and so on. So I, I went to the messages. I read exactly what William Branham had to say on mixed-race marriages, and it was black and white. Yeah, was-
0: yeah absolutely. And, and guys that preach his, his what, what he preaches like Donnie Reagan, have been called extremely racist. In fact, Donnie Reagan was called the most racist pastor in, in the U.S. because of him preaching what William Branham preached.
2: Absolutely. So when, when I read precisely what William Burnham had to say um, about mixed-race marriages, I found that very uncomfortable. And I asked myself to say, Ooh, if this is a prophet of God, and this is what it has to say about mixed-race marriages, we cannot find scripture for it, and there's a problem. Then I spent time on Believe the Sign website. I used to go to the Facebook page, look at the Facebook discussion, and I remember one time, there was a posting on, on Believe the Sign Facebook I was talking about education and how William Brenham was anti-education and there was condemning uh, the, the Believe the Sign advocates. And they was saying, well, look at me. I'm a message believer. I'm doing my PhD and there's nothing wrong with it.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, but so the, somebody, very, somebody, few, somebody very from, few
0: people in the message would agree with you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so somebody from... Uh, yeah, so somebody from, you know, someone I think who had left the message wrote to me and said, oh, Gabriel, you tell me something. What is it about William Brennan that convinced you? So I was like, wow, well, that's a, that's a non-sequitur. So I'm not going to answer that question anyway. <laughs> 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 so I stayed away. I stayed, I stayed away from it, so I didn't bother to to answer it. But, you know, it gave me food for thought. And it's something that I reflected upon for a while. So what is it about the message that... Uh, convinced me and when i look back i see myself as going to the message mainly because my parents grew up in the message every child wants his or her parents to be right yeah every child appreciates and respects the belief system of the parents but i think a a moment in my life came when i had to reflect upon what it is that i was holding on to and when i did and when i investigated i found that the message diverged from scripture in very fundamental ways and i found myself Disagreeing with the message and agreeing with scripture.
0: We try to keep our episodes to half an hour or less, so we'll bring this month's podcast to a close. But please come back in one month for the conclusion of our interview with Dr. Gabriel Pollan. If you have a question or comment, please feel free to go to our website at offtheshelf.life. There is a comment section at the bottom of every episode's webpage. Or you are welcome to send an email to rod at offtheshelf.life. Have a great day, and thanks for listening.
1: I don't want to spend my time writing songs to answer questions that nobody's even asking. Anyhow, when the house is burning to the ground, there's just no time to stand around arranging all the pictures on the wall. I wanna spend my life For giving folks the living water And the bread of life they just can't live without Instead of spending all that time writing songs to answer questions That nobody's even asking Anyhow Don't wanna spend my life Preaching sermons that give answers To the questions no one's asking anywhere When there's so much pain and hurting, there's no time to be searching for the needles in the haystacks that aren't there I won't spend my time wearing myself out for Jesus With the news a cure's been found to heal our land Still I'm making lists, inventing creeds that aren't concerned with people's needs Show them how to touch the nail scarred here. Don't want to spend my time Praying prayers bombarding heaven With requests to rain down fire On saints who care In our methods we may differ But if Christ the Lord we live for May we not forget The enemy is out there I want to spend my life For making my part of the body of the savior work with smooth efficiency, one may be the knee and one the toes, and the chin and the nose. But listen, brother, we have need of feet. Don't wanna spend my time.